0: into to Why
1: Truck! Are you ready to truck it? I'm Dooner,
0: this is What the Truck. I'm here with Michael Vincent, the dude. What's up, brother? Hey, man. How are you, man? It's a beautiful day, man. Mid-50s here in Freight Alley, Chattanooga, the heart of Freight Alley. It's awesome, man. What you doing, man?
1: I'm reading this story about a shipment, uh, and I don't know if you've heard about it, but a shipment of cocaine-stuffed bananas right? We ended up uh, at Canadian grocery stores due to a drug trafficking mix up. So I guess even in the drug trafficking world, you know, you have logistics mix ups like this. Have you ever dealt with a screw up of
0: that magnitude? Uh, No, (laughs) no, no, not not accidentally delivering uh, cocaine stuffed bananas to a grocery store. I'm sure whoever delivered it wasn't quite didn't know, probably didn't know. I don't know. Are they going to claim it. I mean, some nefarious shipments, to be certain. Uh, you know, pallets of Rolex watches that were filled with rocks instead of watches. A whole 40-foot high cube of plasma TVs disappearing overnight and stuff like that. And, uh, but never cocaine, that type of stuff.
1: No. What we would have to deal with in Boston is when I was working in perishable uh, fish shipments for Vandergrift, um, there's about three different suppliers in downtown Boston, like North Coast, Stavis, and um, the other ones uh, evading me right now. But what would happen is there's only two reefer companies that really delivered fish and did it well. But even they didn't do it that well, and they would always give the wrong fish, or they'd quite often give the wrong fish to the wrong supplier. And in that world, that's kind of a huge no-no because nobody really wants the other suppliers to know where they're dipping their lure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I ruined a whole load of fish when I was, uh, first started at tropical shipping. You know, I worked on the docks to learn the stuff. I was running all their container freight stations, but I was working on the docks, kind of learning with the guys and stuff like that. And I, I loaded a whole 40 foot high cube, smoked herring going down to Barbados. I, I top loaded it with, uh, tires, wow. uh, not knowing that they fum- fumigate the entire container as soon as it hit, uh, Barbados and ruined. uh, several hundred thousand dollars worth of fish. <laughs>
1: Whoops. <laughs> well, we have a great show today. We're going to be talking to Claudia Freed. She's the president and CEO of EAL Green. Jim Monkmeyer, president of transportation, DHL Supply Chain North America. We got Rachel Premack, senior investigative reporter at Business Insider. And Chris Gutierrez, president of KC SmartPort, is going to be telling us all about how KC, of all places, is becoming uh, an e-commerce hub. That'll be exciting. In the comments, we got Rhonda, says, Happy Friday, Peter Bolle says, Cheers, Dooner and the Dude best way to give back if you guys enjoy the show just share it out with people that is uh, all we ask and before we get to headlines let's tip the band this week's show is brought to you by our sponsor Zembles you want to crush your numbers so stop random prospecting Zembles can tell you who is spending on shipping and get you those leads instantly taking your sales process from a 95% failure rate to a 50% success rate go to start.zembles.com slash free trial and sign up for a free demo today
0: yeah, I man, do it immediately after the show, before right. you leave on this Friday afternoon. Headline. Hit them.
1: All right, it's Friday. You know what that means. DHL, supply chain, pricing, power, index. And this week, it's going in the wrong direction. It's at a 65 65- Still favoring the carriers for those of you who are not in the know. Zero is fully in favor of the shippers. 100 fully in favor of the carriers. This uses several indices within inside our data platform, Sonar, to crunch the market down and let you know who's holding the scepter of power when it comes to pricing. What's going on this week, dude? Yeah, it's absolutely
0: – well, I mean, you, you said – Wrong direction is relative to who you are, right? Yeah. Uh, we, may be, <laughs> we may be seeing signs of a traditional January lull here, but at a much higher level, as we talked about before, much higher level than years before. The outbound tender volume index, it fell about 5% this week, right? But the, the difference between last year and this year expanded. So that gap year-over-year increase expanded uh, uh, this week to a 23%, and it was uh, 20% last week. So it's, it's remaining higher than last year. So it's not dipping as much as it was and still much, much higher than last year's stuff. Tender rejections also continue to decline modestly now, okay? Because we're talking about one in four loads being rejected. Now, one in five loads are being rejected. So, 20 to 22%, uh, you know, uh, tender rejection rate is still very, very high. Uh, the freight market is still incredibly tight, obviously, is what I'm saying. And the capacity is not easy to source uh, versus historical tanda- standards, obviously. And now that the tight market is being rewarded with higher contract rates, uh, that will be pulling down some of those uh, those uh, uh, tender rejections in the contract market, which then alleviates the upward pressure on spot uh, rates as well. So that's kind of a lot of what we're seeing here.
1: Yeah, if you're a reader of the What the Truck newsletter, you know about which direction the spot rates are going in. Go to FreightWaves.com slash WTT. You'll get the What the Truck newsletter. It comes out every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. We talked about the spot rates in there. And according to truckstop.com data, which is available in Sonar, the dry van rate per mile fell more than 6% this week to 285 per mile inclusive of fuel. This is an acceleration from last week where it only went down 5%. Now not a huge number but still there. Spot rates have peaked for this cycle and remain elevated from the historical standpoint. If you remember on January 3rd they were all the way up to 322, but you know a lot of a lot of capacity is coming back online as drivers come back from the uh the holidays and also right now the other reason is the ongoing rebidding season that is seeing contract rates Pushed up in a range of the higher single uh, single digits to low double digits over 2020 rates. So some of you are probably already entering those negotiations. Uh, that's something to be aware of. And also those of you that are playing the spot market, be aware of that, too. So... Um, Exciting stuff there, but it looks like we're looking at a little bit more even playing field. So as you mentioned, it's uh, maybe not the best look for carriers, but I'm sure shippers are are a little bit happier that they're getting some relief, especially after that incredibly expensive holiday season of shipping. And we're actually going to get into some of those returns with Claudia from EAL Green when she comes on in just a little bit. But in the meantime, Biden has signed an executive order to strengthen COVID supply chains. That's another thing we talked about in the What the Truck newsletter was the promise of 20 million vaccines by vaccinations by the end of 2020. That didn't happen. We're at about 13 million right now. John Gallagher, he's reporting that shortages in the COVID-19 related equipment and vaccines have prompted an executive order from President Joe Biden to address urgent supply chain gaps. By coordinating monitoring and strengthening supply chains, the executive order, it's called a sustainable health supply chain. It was signed on Thursday, was one of a flurry of presidential actions issued by Biden after he was sworn in on Wednesday.
0: Yeah, he's been he's been signing a lot of things. And this one's important. The order directs federal agencies to fill supply shortfalls using all available legal authorities, including the DPA or the Defense Production Act. You remember Trump put that in in place last year and identifies immediate supply shortfalls that will be critical to the pandemic response, including shortages in the dead space needle syringes available to administer the vaccine. Uh, The order is included in the administration's 200 page national strategy for the COVID-19 response and pandemic preparedness also released on Thursday. So if the federal government does not act, shortages are expected to continue, especially in light of the lean nature of supply chains and the intense global competition for the, some supplies, the strategy warns.
1: Yeah, they want to take inventory too to get a look at the, um, to get a look at the strategic national stockpile. So at least they're taking a look at this. They recognize the problem. They're going to dive into it. Now, I hope government inertia doesn't take over here, right? I hope they don't talk about it too much. We need actions. We need to get these shots in people's arms. By the way, Jake McLeod, he says, a guy I know had a truckload of honey shut down the Jersey Turnpike when it flipped. It made the news. It's funny, when we get to good news, bad news, we're actually gonna be talking about some uh, some rollovers too. One with uh, one with cows and grain. So, so, so a few things going on there. Um, here's a bit, some big news too. It's something we've been looking at is the COVID outbreak could cripple California container ports, right? Marine Exchange this morning, they tweeted out, um, their shipping report from January 21st, right? It's, uh, what does it say? Here? There's 107 ships in port, which is a new record. 29 container ships are at anchor awaiting berth. Two more than yesterday. 30 are at, are at berth. 50 total vessels at anchor. Also a new record. Six container ships shifting from anchor to berth today and five tomorrow and eight cruise ships in port. Get it. It's just, it's getting more and more crowded as we try and untangle and unwind this thing.
0: And absolutely. What, who's on these cruise ships? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, and this is just as
1: the uh, this is just as the port is experiencing uh, mass outbreaks. What do we have here? We're at one thousand eighty ILWU workers have have been stricken with COVID.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's no doubt about it. The ILW Coast Commitment uh, Committee Frank uh, Ponce de León uh, told American Shipper on Thursday, longshoremen works, workers have been moving cargo nonstop during the pandemic and want to continue to do so. But the skyrocketing rate of infections in Southern California is real and taking its toll. De León says we are coming close to surpassing the number of infections that we had experienced in the last eight months of 2020 and just the first first two months of 2021. Not a good thing to have happen uh mr dooner
1: no i i wouldn't say so i would not say so at all um i would not say so at all they're saying you know he it's impossible for dock workers to even ride in the shuttle buses between terminals and work together to load and unload ships without having contact with hundreds of people per shift the rate of infection is just growing worse and worse as all these people are uh are right on top of each other, but you know what? We mentioned Claudia Freed, right? She's president CEO at EAL Green. She's uh, she's here with us now. Let's bring her up on the air, Claudia. Thank you for joining us today on What the Truck. Hey.
2: Thank you, guys. It's great to be on the show with you and good to see you both.
1: Well, you are a champion of the circular economy, right? Uh, And, you know, with record e-commerce, we've talked about it many times on the show, comes record returns. And one of the cool things you talk about is turning some of that excess inventory into charity and figuring out what to do with it. So before we get a little deeper into that, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what EAL Green is.
2: Uh, with $41 billion worth of customer returns, CAL has been for almost four years finding a purpose for the return products by converting those products and returned customer returns, excess inventory into scholarships for students as an alternative to the landfill. Uh, the story is that I was the first student that received one of those scholarships a long time ago in 1982 when on a snowy day, two entrepreneurs got together and they said, look, There is excess inventory in one part of the economy. There is a deficit of products in another part of the economy. Let's use logistics, transportation to bring those two worlds together. And that is the AL model that I run.
0: Awesome stuff, Claudia, my, my new, uh, my new uh, old friend. <laughs> it, 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 it's great to talk to you again and, and see you. Thanks for right. being on. So can you, uh, the buzzword that everybody's talking about, circular economy, there's a lot of people yeah. don't understand it. I know you're working to try and certify circular economy or businesses, et cetera, right? So give us a definition of that so people understand exactly what we're talking about when we talk about circular economy.
2: Circular economy as a concept is really about resource allocation. So thinking away from a linear economy where we come from making, using, and throwing away or wasting product. The circular economy uh, was put on the map, if you will, by Madame, um, by Dame uh, Ellen MacArthur uh, from England who decided that it was time for us to start thinking about circularity as a way of thinking of what to do with end-of-life products. We have stuff that we don't need. There are returns happening in massive amounts all over the economy, all over the world. So how can we start rethinking about waste in a different way? Uh, That is the model that we run by reusing, recycling, and repurposing product that otherwise may have gone to the landfill, Uh, certainly uh, not an environmentally sound practice.
1: Claudia, I can't help but detect an accent. accent. I, I, I believe that you are originally from Argentina. Is that correct?
2: I am I am uh, I was born and raised in Argentina I came to the United States uh, uh, with with36 dollars uh, in my pocket a little suitcase and a big dream and here I am Whoa. in your I chair- <laughs> <laughs>
1: I had to give you a little cowbell for that. That's awesome. I love I love these stories. You know, I did this post on LinkedIn about comeback stories and people who came from different backgrounds and then found another life in in logistics. And I love highlighting that stuff. For those of you who are listening now, we're going to highlight a bunch of those stories throughout the, uh, throughout the rest of the winter and spring. We got great response on that one. So I'm-, I'm super excited to feature those. But the one thing I like about your story is that you're looking at this excess inventory problem and you're also looking at how you... Can help give back, right? In a charitable way. How do you use this excess inventory in a charitable way?
2: We create scholarships by collaborating with colleges and universities and certificate programs in a variety of higher education fields. So what happens is a company, we know companies want to be sustainable and they have this problem of surplus and excess inventory. The product we bring into our fulfillment centers and through a quality control, we decide which three channels can create the most value product that can be reused on a college campus that ships out to colleges around the country product that cannot be reused, it may need to be repaired or refurbished, is turned into fundraising dollars to support additional scholarships. And anything that is left over is recycled. So we have community partners with colleges and universities. And for them, these are cash donations when we are able to convert those products into cash scholarships. This year, in 2020, actually, the year that just ended, uh, we were very proud to support our community partners with a $1 million scholarships giving scholarships to over a thousand students this year alone
0: that is tremendous stuff claudia we got a call bell for, for a million bucks do <laughs> yeah, a all call. right all right all right yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah that's awesome stuff
2: we're not doing this alone we have a lot of help uh, one of your friends uh mr brent uh, Pato from uh, Truck Stop. He's a supporter of our program, contributing uh, Truck Stop uh, logistics and support, and and as well as transportation companies. That's how we do this.
0: Yeah, we got to get you in touch with a a number of other people that I was thinking. You're looking at excess excess, uh, inventory, right? Leftover inventory, not sold, that type of stuff. How are returns affecting it? Returns are going through the roof. Are you connecting with that stuff? Is that a new initiative? What's going on there?
2: Great question. As I mentioned, the the size of the returns is is exploding. It's in the billions. It's forty one billion dollars according to the latest number that I read. And retailers are struggling. Uh, They're struggling with the cost analysis of, does it make sense for me to process a return? Uh, Many retailers are now deciding to let the customer keep the units or the product that they bought and just issue them a credit. But that product has to go somewhere. Our model allows the uh, retailers, distributors, and wholesale distributors, and sometimes even the manufacturers to integrate our return process into their system. So We partner and and strengthened by transportation that enables us to drop equipment, pick up return products. So we are integrated in the end of life, the very final step of where product uh, no longer can be resold. A lot of the retailers are figuring out, uh, do they resell the product themselves? Uh, Do they send it back to where it came from? Uh, And that, that is part of the circular economy. We are trying to create value in every one of those loops.
1: Wow. You know, you're talking about end-of-life products here. And, you know, especially as Joe Biden uh, comes in the presidency, if you if you follow energy or transportation yeah. stocks, you know that um, yeah. battery initiatives, green energy, huge thing. But batteries themselves, kind of it, problematic. You save on the front end, but what happens on the back end when you can't use these things anymore? Are we going to run into an issue with uh, with all of these batteries?
2: Absolutely. A lot of the industries, in fact, I think that um, uh, one of the things that we are seeing is that Technology is advancing faster than some of these business models are adapting. Uh, I heard the other day when you interviewed this brilliant uh, 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 Fetch uh, Robotics CEO, and she talked about how fast uh, technology moves in parallel to businesses. So the issue with batteries is a very, uh, very critical one. For example, with all the advances in in electric cars, the recycling of batteries is a significant problem. I think Australia is doing some interesting work in that space. and that is where we love to see global collaboration initiatives and definitely where science plays a huge role.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The the other thing, Claudia, is you need to think about in the circular economy, one of these things is the manufacturers looking at that use virgin plastics, right? Virgin plastics sure. are not, you don't make plastics... By refining oil. It's an offshoot of refining oil. And as electric cars and GM and Ford get get better at, uh, right, or hit their goals of 50% electric, electric cars by twenty thirty-five, virgin plastics can be really expensive. People are going to be looking for that solution to find that recycled plastic, right?
2: And and you you raise a very interesting point, because this is going to be really a reallocation of resources. It's an issue about, you know, we're going to have to continue to pay for materials. Now, I think that the shift, particularly if we think about the United Nations uh, Sustainable Development Goals, everyone is thinking about cost slightly differently. Uh, it is no longer just the bottom line. It's what is the social cost of your business and what is the environmental cost. So that's why our, we are aligned not only with the circular economy at EAL Green, but with what is called the ESGs, the Environmental Society and Governance Initiatives. Plastic is it's a great opportunity, I think, for women to get in entrepreneurship. Uh, plastic presents a great way to put all those girls that are studying STEM uh, to work.
1: You know, Claudia, you hear people say um, I love the STEM thing, too. You know, Melanie Wise was was definitely advocating for that when she was on here on Wednesday. I implore you all to go back and listen that her and Alison Barr Allen had some wonderful messages for women looking to get into business out there. But, um, you know, sometimes you hear when you talk about recycling, you hear people go like, I wouldn't use a recycled toothbrush or I wouldn't use recycled toilet paper because in their head, it sounds gross. But are they really gross?
2: Great question. I think that they uh, we need to educate the public a lot in terms of recycling. Uh, the work that I'm doing as a volunteer under uh, united under underwriter laboratories, excuse me, is to deal with um, determining the content, of the recycled products. In many, many instances, when something is recycled, it's it's very, very small portion or perhaps some of the product that is being used uh, comes from a recycled source. More and more advances, I think, in addition to recycling, there is a lot of uh, reuse going on. Of course, you will not expect anyone to, um, uh, to consider reusing a toothbrush, for example. That would be a bad example. But there are many, many, many businesses that are now really leveraging the reuse market, uh, particularly clothing and apparel. Um, so I think that the, the consumer is becoming a little bit more um, comfortable with this idea that recycled or reused or gently used or scratch and dented, it does not necessarily affect functionality. But with the toothbrush and toilet paper, you have mm-hmm. health concerns. So yeah. I wear uh, glasses that are made with the recycled um, uh, plastic from the ocean. Mm. uh about half of the frame is made with plastic recycled from the ocean. So uh, back to Thai nature and commerce, the oceans are uh, our precious resource. And anything that we can do to salvage plastic from the bottom of the ocean or from the shorelines, uh, we I think that in the next five to ten years, we're going to see that the public will begin to demand and reward companies that are doing the right thing.
1: Claudia unfortunately, we're out of time. Claudia, unfortunately, we're out of time. I wish we booked you for, for two hours. This just means we'll have to bring you back <laughs> oh, on again in the near future. But people who want to get involved in the meantime, where do we send them to?
2: ealgreen.org, or they can look me up on LinkedIn and just shoot me a, a message to connect. Uh, they can also call me or text me. My number is 630-670-3321, and... <laughs> My heart is in Argentina, but I live here. And I don't be intimidated by me giving the number.
1: Okay, I tell you, all right, Claudia. I that that I, look,
2: people, I think that that is how people really okay. trust that you exist. And they can reach out to you.
1: Thank you, Claudia. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. Thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your time. Now we can't be responsible if any any. Of our crazier listeners call you up. I'm not saying any listeners are no, crazy. No, no, no. We,
2: thank, said, thank you, we are, Claudia. We are doing that work.
1: Thank you, Claudia. Uh, now our next guest is uh Jim monk mary's president of transportation DHL supply chain. And you know what, Michael Vincent, he's the second Northwestern alumni we've had on the show this week. Another wildcat.
0: Is that right? Another wildcat on here. Go Big Ten.
1: Yeah, Allison Barrell and the COO hey. and co-founder over at Fast, also a wildcat, just oh, like okay. you,
3: just like you, Jim. That's great to hear. Great to hear. It's good to be with you guys. It's been a while. You know, I was thinking the last time I spoke to you, I didn't know what a coronavirus was, let alone that there were 18 of them. Whoa. So, lots changed. Has it been that long? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. We got to talk more often. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> We definitely do. So a got- lot. <laughs> I've been a little busy. I know you guys have been busy, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot changing these days. Yeah, 2020 is like the and year a lot that staying the same.
1: 2020 is the year that took forever, but also seemed like it like it flew by at the same time. It's one of those like weird paradoxes. But you know, it's unprecedented, unexpected year in a lot of ways. As 2021 gets underway, what do you think the trend lines and themes of this year are going to be?
3: Well, uh, unfortunately, some of them are going to be the same that we've seen. I think. You know, number one for me is capacity. I think we've got to all put that first, capacity and pricing. There's just tremendous uncertainty. It remains uh, today. Uh, You know, we've got stimulus coming now, it looks like. There'll probably be more. We've got this mutation uh, that may create more issues, even though, you know, our case counts are are, are peaking and perhaps going down. We've got a little bit of a seasonal benefit we're seeing here in January, but I think that's going to get blown away here when the March volumes hit because it's coming. Um, and I think uh, you know some people think maybe we'll have a break in the third quarter before a peak, but uh, a lot of people think it'll go right into 2022 before we really see relief. You know, we're doing bids now that are 90 days long, 180 days, just to to ensure that the carriers ha- uh, can predict during that period of time what they can do and be be aggressive and, and competitive on pricing. And ultimately, you know, the big the big uh, thing we're all waiting on is the vaccine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree. Couldn't agree more. You know, uh, Jim, we were talking to uh, Claudia Freed at EAL Green about circular economy, et cetera. Where does uh, where does sustainability fit into these trends that you're looking at throughout 2021? Yeah,
3: no, that's that's definitely one of the top uh, top items in sustainability. You know, the name brands are looking to do only more in that area. And uh, uh, we're under Uh, just continued pressure. Of course, we've always been uh, keeping our eye on alternative fuel vehicles, um, electric, autonomous, and so forth. And you've seen some announcements from us on that. Um, Everybody's uh, trying to count their carbon footprint in terms of savings through optimization. But one of the exciting things that we're doing is with SmartWay, uh, using not only uh, identifying SmartWay uh, uh, carriers, but using their score analytically to, to use our in our bidding tools so that when we're optimizing for customers, we can show them the impact of uh, the SmartWay carriers uh, in their network and what that means in terms of cost, but also in terms of the scoring and trying to get those levels up so that they, uh, they can have a, a green uh, footprint.
1: You know, I was a couple of weeks ago on Freightways.com, I was reading it, to wit on these things. I was reading an interview with Mark Kuhner, and he was talking about your Go Green pillar. And he said it was like looking at property, transport, and even packaging elements. Packaging elements becoming a huge deal now with all that with all that e-commerce and, and just the, the amount of waste that's created through that, too. And also just space efficiency.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We're doing that across the board, not just in transportation or warehousing or packaging elements on a global basis. And as you can imagine, you know, being a global company, we've got pressure. Uh, to be uh, be the leader in green. Yeah, absolutely. You know, another so- thing I was going to mention, I was going to mention uh, the digitalization too, you know, it has to be up there in that top of that list in terms of trends. Um, the capabilities are changing so fast and people are asking for more, um, you know, with the COVID situation. Uh, we have, uh, with big data capabilities now, we've developed some of our own tools to try to, do some things that aren't available off the shelf in the market today that are looking across customer networks, across uh, managed transportation, as well as fleets, uh, dedicated fleet or private fleet, and optimizing those, looking at uh, continuous moves and doing that in in days, essentially what we used to do in weeks uh, to try to either put uh, proposals in front of uh, prospects or, or existing customers to improve their network. And those things just couldn't be done a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, Jim, uh, you know, you mentioned COVID again and COVID absolutely had a tremendous impact on logistics and the trends. And we're seeing that aftermath as well as it it continues with the trends into 2021 and its effect on those. Vaccines are obviously on the top of everybody's mind right now, and we expect they'll continue to be uh, for the future and and for the better part of 2021, at least. Hopefully not into 2022. We'd like to get past this. Right. But uh, this vaccine rollout, how, how do you see this affecting these trends? What do you think the rollout is there?
3: Yeah, well, it, you know the the challenge is the CDC is making uh, putting out guidance. Each state is making their own decisions. We're, you know, DHL is an essential uh, worker in many situations, but you know, we think that the key people are going to get vaccinated here in in Q two, and I think that will change uh, little literally everything. I think the question, the big question, remains: how many of these drivers that are not driving today are going to come back? You know, it's an aging population, as we've, we've all discussed. Are some of them hanging it up for good, or are they going to come back when they see the vaccine and they and they know they can come in safely and when when uh, carriers can afford to to recruit those drivers back? I do want to say, too, uh, we're very excited about being a part of the vaccine distribution. As you may know, uh, DHL Express, of course, we're flying uh, vaccines all over the, the world on our aircraft. Um, and then our supply chain group, some of my team uh, at our Hiresburg control tower, our LLP or lead logistics partner organization, is coordinating the distribution of all the vaccines within uh, the U.S. Jim, so, we'll, very proud and excited to be a part of that life-saving uh, uh, project.
1: Yeah, I mean the problems we've been hearing with the rollout—they seem to have to do with both storage and actually administering. When it comes to that final link in that supply chain of just giving it to people. Have there been issues with transportation? I haven't heard as many there.
3: No, I haven't heard of any. Uh, we're delivering everything as it's coming off the line. And, uh, you know, we had to make some changes to our systems to give, uh, give the the customer, uh, the information that they needed about signatories and, uh, um, information about temperature and uh, uh, so forth and, and real-time visibility uh, that we had to ensure was there with the different providers. But uh, no issues on the transportation side. We can get it to the destination. How it gets from the destination to the shoulder is is somebody else.
1: Jim, before we let you go, what's the next project you're going to have uh, your, your hands in? Well, what, what are you going to be up to next?
3: Uh, we're continuing to build out our network of uh, uh, using that data tool, uh, Transportation Network Optimizer. That's the biggest thing right now um, that we're all all focused on.
1: People who are hearing this and they're like, I like what DHL is saying. I like Jim. Uh, I want to work with DHL. Where should we send them to?
3: Probably the best thing, we have a new podcast that started coming out last year. Mm-hmm. It's called All Business, No Boundaries. And you can find it very easily Googling it. But if you can get to it on our um, website, uh, that's kind of a, a good entree into all the other things that we're doing in the area of innovation uh, the podcast talks about case studies with customers. Uh, so there's a lot of learnings there. And that podcast is getting a lot of recognition. It's up for some major uh, awards, not just for supply chain, but but podcasting in general. So we're pretty excited about that. And you can reach me on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out. I would love to uh, get to know some of you. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. See- All right,
1: it's time to say thank you again to our sponsor, Zembles. End the frustration of chasing dead leads and start using Zembles data. Zembles will get you to the companies that are spending on trucking and logistics, so you know where to focus your selling. Go to start.zembles.com/slash-free-trial and sign up for a demo today. But before you do that, I think we should talk to Rachel Premack. She is a senior investigative reporter over at Business insider and uh, I think a, a former tab drinker, maybe. Hey, Rachel, thanks for joining us. Oh.
4: <laughs> hey, thanks for having me on.
1: <laughs> you, you, you weren't a former tab. You had to outsource your, your tab drinking friends. You sent, uh, I think, Katie might wait for that that interview, it's funny, though. You know what? Yeah. The great thing about networking is, so Um, th- here's a small story. So Tab, they decided to discontinue Tab, and then um, I made a joke about it. So Rachel DMs me, and she goes, okay, you're, you're a Tab drinker. One of my reporters is doing a, an article on Tab. So I do with her, and then the article comes out. Some The founder of a company called Olipop reads it. He connects with me on LinkedIn. Um, oh. He sends me a couple cases of Olipop, and he's going to come on the show to talk about the logistics behind uh, launching a new Oh. Sparkling soda brand. So thank you very much. It's, it's sort of like that that little butterfly effect. So people out there, you know, start the process just connect to network. Tell people you drink tab.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's yeah.
4: Different. So my Yeah, my coworker Kate Taylor, who reports on retail for BI, she um she was looking for tab drinkers and I actually hate carbonation. I don't oh. like any pop as we call it in the Midwest. Um but I saw your tweet and Now
1: you're a BI source, so that's fine. I dig it. I dig it. You know, so obviously big, huge news this week. You know, we were we went live on the air just as Biden was finishing his inauguration. We talked to two awesome business leaders, Melanie Wise from um, Fetch Robotics and Alison Barr Allen from Fast. And, you know, we were talking about Kamala Harris being first female VP, but we also got Biden in there and He's been busy, right? He's been signing a lot of papers. And, you know, trucking tends to lean conservatives. So there's, I think, especially amongst that population, there's a lot of fear about what's what's gonna happen next, what it means for them. Are fuel costs gonna go up? Let's talk about some of these policies a little bit. What's on your radar that has gone down so far?
4: Yeah, so taking a step back, Biden has pretty vocally aligned himself with unions. He said he's want to be the most pro union president that the US has ever seen. And he's already taken some pretty big steps. He fired the first, uh, he fired a, a pretty anti-union general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board. So this is all good news for unionized uh, workers. But as we know, most truck drivers are not actually unionized. Um, so it, seem, it seems like it's not quite clear what his stance on truck drivers are specifically. Um, I, I think we see kind of good, uh, at least good sort of energy coming out, but we don't really know what, how exactly this will apply to drivers. And we also have to really look closely at uh, his Secretary of Transportation pick, people Judge, who also does not seem the most versed on truck drivers or what their needs are or what how the industry works. So there's definitely a learning curve, but their heart seems to be in the right place when it comes to uh, being pro-union and pro-worker, but... How that will affect truck drivers, which, as we know, is a completely different kind of body of labor than um, what I think most people picture uh, when they think about blue collar workers. That would be interesting to see for sure.
0: Yeah, good points. Uh, but as, aside from the the the, the pro union, um, his uh, what is it his two trillion dollar infrastructure plan uh, that he's right. that he's got coming up. What, what what what's your thoughts on that? Is it enough? Is it going to pass? Is what, what what do we have there as details?
4: Yeah, it's not quite clear how that will all sort out. Um, when I when I listen to uh, Mayor P or I guess now Secretary of Transportation, do Buh- <laughs> judges. Uh, hearing uh yesterday i believe he when when they asked him more about how you know sort of policies that would affect truck drivers his, his response seems to just be we'll look into it we'll look into it but um as we do know biden has that uh has sort of paused three uh trucking reforms that trump tried to put into motion before he left office so there's the uh ending washington state's uh rest Pay for truck drivers, putting into motion the under 21 pilot trucking program so that uh, those age 18 to 21 could drive interstate on America's freeways. And then uh, doing some of those reforms, much needed reforms and much asked for reforms on hours of service regulation. Um, so, you know, kind of hit or miss, obviously putting forward those hours of service reforms is something that drivers have been demanding for years. Um and some of those other regulations, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's really not clear, in my opinion, how well-versed Biden and judge are aware of how what truck drivers are demanding. It doesn't seem to me that they're very um, informed at this point, unfortunately.
1: You know, I would love to see the right infrastructure bill happen. I mean, the American Society of Civil Engineers, mm-hmm. they say the current U.S. grade for infrastructure is a D-plus. But they also say that we need $4.5 trillion by 2025 to uh, improve this. But yeah. I think that if you, if you ignore party lines, right, and you, you ignore the left versus the right, and you just think about a big project for America, I think infrastructure is very important. But I also think it could be a big boon for trucking, especially flatbed, because yeah. there's been a lot of stuff, a lot of things we're going to have to move around in that, that industrial sector to make all of this happen. So I don't know if it's that sort of doomsday scenario that sort of people think with that new administration, because I think that this, this could be a big boon. Right. It absolutely needs to happen.
4: Yeah, I, I agree. And and I think it does reinvigorate some of those, especially more industrial sectors of the economy that saw lagging in the past few years, whether it was from the tariff wars and the trade wars or from the haul manufacturing last year for a few months. Um, I think those are all sectors that definitely do need more revitalization. And something that I've learned more and more in the trucking business when the economy is doing well, trucking is doing well. So if more people are working, if more people are Gainfully employed and contributing to the economy—that's always good for trucking. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think an infrastructure bill would be great, obviously for workers and for the economy, and therefore it's good for trucking
0: yeah absolutely and i mean, i guess one of the ways that uh oh Judge says that he's gonna pay for this is a five what is it a five uh five cent tax for what four years i guess on on uh gasoline mm-hmm. taxes um i guess right now there's there's kind of room for that i mean gasoline's been pretty cheap but, yeah. uh, <laughs> right as it as it gets more yeah. expensive and we and we get back to this that's a little bit of pressure there do you see that as the way is paying it well like you mentioned
4: gas had been incredibly cheap for the past year or so but when i talk to drivers and i've asked them before okay gas is really cheap this must be great for you guys right their answer is usually well yeah sort of but also it's cheap because the entire economy is is, or was collapsing so it's 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 one way to look at it it's definitely like a short-term budget way of looking at it but i could see the argument as we've discussed previously for you know maybe gas goes up a little bit in the short term, that would definitely be somewhat of a pinch. But if overall we are seeing more jobs being created, that's certainly a good thing for truck drivers because just more jobs, more money flowing, more people at work, that's that's just good for the economy and good for drivers.
1: Well, I think that's one of the reasons yep. we wanted to reframe this is I, I've seen some of like the the shock headlines mm-hmm. that are going for the the cheap clickbait. And they're like, Biden's doing this to transformation or <laughs> not. But if you actually listen to what Pete Bates B, he says what they're doing is they're freezing a lot of these programs, but he hasn't actually said anything. I mean, this is a quote from me. He says, I want to take a closer look at this and engage with the stakeholders as well to make sure I understand how this pilot program squares the goals of workers and travel safety with the goal of flexibility. That is saying absolutely nothing. That just says I'm going to review it. I haven't reviewed it enough to tell you what exactly is going to happen.
4: Yeah, and I think that's a good thing that he's actually going to be taking a closer look at it instead of just saying, oh, more people working, more young people being able to get behind the wheel of a truck, that's a good thing. Or, oh, uh hours of service reform, that means drivers might be more tired on the road. That's a bad thing. Because I, I think a lot of people I'm I'm assuming that Buja just does not have uh the greatest background on the trucking industry. I could be wrong. Um But there are a lot of complexities that are not very clear right on the surface of how this industry works and how this labor force works. Um, So, yeah, if you are taking a closer look at it, I think that's a great thing.
1: Well, Rachel, uh, Rachel, this show goes quick. We're almost out of time. We got to get to a stupid question. And this one actually comes from yourself. So I hope you've thought about this. Can you make oatmeal with oat milk?
4: I haven't tried it yet. I'm too scared (laughs) because I noticed when I make oatmeal, there's like some oat milk-like substance that comes out of it. I don't. I'm just scared. It's gonna be too much. It's too much. I don't know. Maybe I'll try it for You you, you may.
0: You may tear a hole in the space-time continuum (laughs) if you try and do that. I don't. I don't know if you want to attempt that. Especially, (laughs) I mean, in a safe place, right, with proper safety gear. Yeah. Yeah, it's like crossing Yeah, the I'm, I'm
4: in a 600 square foot apartment, so that might not be the best situation. Um, but my neighbors are okay if I do rip the FaceTime. <laughs> uh, Continue on. So sorry, sorry everyone.
1: Well, Rachel, <laughs> Rachel, what are you sinking your teeth into next? What are you investigating next? Before we let you go, get some people excited. And I know that you wanted to put it out there that you wanted some drivers to reach out to you. So, um, so put it out there.
4: Yeah, so um in my new role I can basically look into I guess whatever I want as long as my eyes are going to say it's okay. Um but one thing I'm looking into is just I'm trying to collect more interesting stories from truck drivers. Just if you have like a crazy story about uh, you know, your grandparents and your great grandparents and everyone was in trucking and it's just something that's in your family or you met uh your wife or husband on the road, something something Um, something that's maybe not business related, but just sort of uh, an interesting trucking story. I'm all ears. um, My email inbox is open. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, every other TikTok. I'm not not really on TikTok. Every social media, you can contact me there and I'd love to hear your stories.
1: Cool. Do you want to give out your email address?
4: Yeah, it's um, rpremac. So just my first initial and then my last name, Premac, which is clearly on the screen. Mm Um, or P-R-E-M-A-C-K at insider.com. And my Twitter handle is R-R-P-R-E.
1: Very good. Hey, Rachel, thank thank you very much for uh, your time. And if you do eventually make that oatmeal with the oat milk, let us know how it turned out.
4: Yeah, I'll tweet a picture, definitely. <laughs>
0: I'm sure you will. Ta- tag me <laughs> in it. I think it. you need to find out how to make oat milk first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How are they milking these oats? That's what I want to (laughs) know. I
4: know. It's not clear. They're not
0: animals.
1: (laughs) They're not (laughs) animals. All right, Rachel. Thank thank you once again. Thanks for coming on. Have a great weekend. Yeah, thanks so much. Take it easy. Have a good one. All right. Next, we're going to hear from uh, Chris Gutierrez. He's the president of KC Smartport. And uh, Michael Vincent, I think he's going to try and sell us on Kansas City as an e-commerce destination today. Um, He's also an Ohio State alumni. So he's got that going for him. I'll bang a little water I bottle. Say O-H. <laughs> I-O. Hey Chris, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How about you guys? We're uh, we're doing good. Are you excited about the Chiefs game this weekend? It's Red Friday in Kansas City, so I'm ready. I imagine you guys must be going crazy. <laughs> Because you've had you you're, you've had a time to build the fan base too. This isn't like a one year thing. Like where like the Nashville Predators down this way when they had a good run. And then you see all like the uh, you know the fair weather fans show up and they all got yellow hats on. Casey's been building for a while, and also you guys have been around forever. So you got you got a a lot of lineage over in that area.
5: Absolutely, this fan base here is unbelievable. We call it the nation, the Arrowhead Nation. The Chiefs are ready to go on Sunday. Well, you know, good luck to the Bills, but we'll be moving on. So it's exciting. Well, Chris, introduce yourself and introduce KC SmartPort. Uh, Who are you and and what do you do? Yeah, as you said, I'm the president of KC SmartPort. We're the regional economic development group here in Kansas City focused on freight based growth. So we promote Kansas City for new manufacturing, distribution, warehousing and supply chain operations to locate here and
0: uh, grow in our region in Kansas City. That's tremendous stuff. So a recent snapshot of Kansas City Metro reveals that the industry uh, industrial market is soaring there, right? So ranking number three in the U.S. for industrial construction activity in cities with populations between one and four million. Casey is also outpacing larger industrial centers, including Austin, Denver and Seattle, uh, et cetera. In the past 12 months, um, it's it's alone Kansas City region successfully attracted 12 manufacturers. How is KC success- successfully attracting this e-commerce and distribution companies uh, from the outside markets?
5: You know, we've all been through a tough year through the pandemic, but industrial real estate uh, supply chain industry has been an essential market. We all need to get our goods. As you know it, the uh, freight still needs to move. So Kansas City's been on fire the last 18 months. We've had, as you said, 12 companies that have selected the region. We've had over 16 million square feet of new industrial space built in that time frame. Uh, you know, our central location, right in the heartland of North America, allows us to distribute product. of the population in two days, 100% in three. There's just been a momentum moving in our direction, and we've been responding with this construction build, great workforce here. And, you know, again, you you said I'm going to sell. Kansas City's easy to sell. There's a lot happening in this region right now, and we're seeing companies respond and locate here.
1: Yeah, you have know,
5: Walmart, Urban Outfitters, Chewy,
1: BoxyCharm, UPS, Dots, Pretzels, I think is a relatively new one over there, um, Pretzels, Inc., another one. And these are big facilities, right? We're talking 800 square feet for Chewy, 800,000 square feet for Chewy, 1,200 1, jobs, 2,000 jobs with the Urban Outfitters, a lot of creation. Has, has, has this all been happening really rapidly?
5: You know, we've seen the growth over the last 10 years. Uh, there's been a focus on Kansas City as a good competitive market, great Transportation access. You were talking earlier about the infrastructure bill. We need that bill. We've got great road and rail infrastructure here. We move freight on the barge on the Missouri River and air. So it's been momentum has been building. But over the last two years, three years, we've really seen that explode with new spec development on the industrial side, companies that you just named like Urban and Chewy and Boxycharm that have come into our market. And we're only January 22nd. We've seen five or six new deals show up already, mainly in the food manufacturing space, looking at Kansas City as well. So it's been ongoing, but we're definitely seeing
0: the benefits of it in the last year or so. That's great stuff. So, um, Chris, COVID has obviously changed a lot of things. Not not only the vaccine rollout, as we were talking earlier with some people, but just, you know, the p- pandemic in, in particular in in logistics and sourcing and where to be at near shoring or, or diversification. Has that really, has that been a driving factor in people looking at the region there in, in, in Casey? Um, and if so, why do you think that is? You
5: know, it definitely has, I think, as we all had to go online more than we were before. I mean, e-commerce sales were, were were growing substantially, but I think they've said, I've seen stats, that they've jumped, you know, five-year growth in a two, three-month period during the pandemic because we all needed to get our products. That's really led to a growth here. We've got great resources with UPS and the other carriers in our market. We all know our UPS driver now. I mean, that's really allowed us to continue to grow because we've had available product here. The buildings are being built. And these e-commerce companies like Chewy and Urban needed space to continue to move to respond to the fact that their e-commerce platform took off during the pandemic. So it's definitely been a a factor in our growth.
1: Chris, are are home values getting expensive over in Kansas City? I left Boston, which is a very expensive market. I'm coming to Chattanooga. This area is starting to to get up there, too, starting to get very competitive. What's uh, the Kansas City housing market like?
5: You know, our housing rates are still very competitive. We're one of the lowest housing cost markets in the U.S., Uh, A colleague of mine, Ellie Bowen, just bought a house last night. There's there's product, uh, you know, houses on the market ready to be sold. My wife and I just moved into this apartment downtown to take on downtown living and sold our house. There are available properties here and and prices are much better than the cities you just named. Wow. Well,
1: before we let you go, we do have uh, we do have one stupid question for you. And it's if animals could talk, (laughs) if animals could talk, which species would be the rudest of them all?
5: You know, I would say it's probably pigs. I mean, if you had to grow up in the the (laughs) environment and we all love our bacon and pork, uh, I'll I'll go with pigs right now. I thought you'd go with Buffalo because you're playing the Bills this weekend. (laughs) No, we'll take care of them on the field. I don't need to do it on the radio.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. Chris, people who want to learn more, they're they're sold on KC. You know, they're seeing this e-commerce boom. They got to expand. KC is the place they want to go. How How can you help them out?
5: Yeah, our website's kcsmartport.com. We're on all the social media as well, uh, at KCSmartport on Twitter and LinkedIn. Great resource there for information about the market, the labor force, the real estate that's here. Take a look at it. Some great videos of our market. Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. So appreciate that.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great weekend. And hey, good luck. Uh, good luck at the championship game this weekend.
5: Thank you. Go Chiefs. Yeah,
1: take it easy. Thanks, Chris. So, Michael, what's your takeaway? Because today we covered a little bit of the the policy that Biden's coming in. I know we kind of covered with Rachel that it's a little hard to say because of of Pete B's answers. I mean, I would not be uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say his appointment makes me a little bit nervous. It seems kind of like politics as usual, just putting someone in the spot because they're they're a known commodity as opposed to based on experience. Um, I hope that doesn't impact his job. I hope it's based on his leadership and, and some of these things, especially the infrastructure can pour through. What are your thoughts on it?
0: Well, my, my thoughts on that, and I was going to talk about it a little bit with uh, with Rachel, just because, um, but we ran out of time there. And I'm glad you brought it up. Is it sounds? I'm hoping that uh, the rhetoric that he that 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 uh, Buttigieg is is putting out there isn't uh, just typical um, politician, and he's going to do, and and he's just scared of saying what he's going to do, and he's going to act ignorantly. And it's more of like you said, a good leadership, solid leadership, where regardless of he knows it or not, if he, the, the business or not, if he's a good leader, he's going to surround himself with the right people and take in all the right uh, information before, uh, you know, leading a team to make some good, some, to make some good decisions. And I'm going to lean that way and, and stay positive on it uh, for now. And we'll see what happens. Yeah. I hope
1: they, I hope they lead with, with, especially in our space and transformation that they lead with, with rhetoric. That's, that's inclusive of, of both sides, right? We don't need this red state, blue state kind of stuff right now, because a lot of truckers, right They're on that other side. They're, they're on that conservative side you you know i see it on twitter i see it on social media all the time they have there's a lot of nerves a lot of anxiety about this appointment you know they hear a gas tax they immediately think that's going to attack their livelihood and you know in some senses it it does so we you have to get people on board to go along with these things and we have to move forward as as a country together to make them happen or else he's going to run to efforts and there's going to be a lot of standstills which which tends to be that sort of government inertia and if we want to get past it we got to work together
0: yeah, absolutely. You and I have talked about this before, before the election. You know, hopefully we're going to get to a place where we can make some decisions, make some good, intelligent things happen. And we don't have to wake up every morning and, and worry about what the president tweeted. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice to not to not have to deal with that every day? Yeah. So uh, let, let's let, let's stay positive and And I'm with you, brother. We need to keep an open mind and see what happens. I uh, the
3: bad
1: news and good news. Um, Alright now, Jake... Oh, Jake... <clears throat> What's happened? <laughs> what's going on there brother jake, jake <laughs> mccloud <laughs> uh, sorry thanks was that a nine iron i heard <laughs> swinging
0: through the air was that a nine iron hitting some dental work
1: and <laughs> <You're laughs> chased by some with a nine iron and crash into a, a pole on thanksgiving that's a good documentary i don't know if you guys seen it on hbo it's the tiger woods one maybe a little bit long it's like three hours long maybe that's the themes don't really change so the plot like of the documentary doesn't really move forward that much at times but uh Still a pretty good one. But either way, Jake McCloud. he mentioned earlier that a shipment of honey flipped over on the, the roadways. Well, we have some bad news. A grain hauling semi rolled over on the Valley Freeway in surprise, Arizona, Thursday morning. This caused a huge mess, shutting down the on-ramp to the freeway. And if you look at this thing, I think we have a few pictures here. There's just grain all over the place, man. The good news, though. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The good news is the driver wasn't hurt. But right. He, but he did. He did flee the scene. So they can't find him. The authorities are on the lookout. So he crashes the grain truck, makes this big mess. And I don't know where he went. He's, I hope he's not in the desert. It can get pretty bad out there.
0: Uh, You, you know, um, so they're assuming he's not hurt because he got away uh, quickly. Uh, But he, he may be hurt, but it could be the fact that he was most likely intoxicated or in the influence, hence the flee from the scene. Um <laughs> have I they may checked, have helped him get away. I don't know. If they check
1: the grain, you know, <laughs> take a dustbuster over there, he might be covered. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Who knows? Follow yeah, they can wait till spring and, and follow the 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 uh the trail of new planted uh cabbage or whatever the grain is there that or whatever the seeds are that are going through there. So here's another one for you. Here's, a, here's some here's some bad news or, or good news depending on how you want to look at it. But uh, so your semi hauling cows rolled over on I twenty nine near Salix, Iowa, and many of your cows have wandered off. Dooner, oh, where are your cows, brother? Hit that cowbell. Where are they at? Move. <laughs> <wandering> <laughs> Where are they? Here's here's the thing. They they found a lot of them. Uh, is the good news, and some of them as far as four miles away, my friend. And authorities are still warning drivers that there are still a number of cows on the lamb. <laughs> Where's the rim shot? But a local, But a local farm is, ha- is helping to chase them down. I didn't get a rim shot for that one. Come on, Boom. they're still on the lamb. So, dude, there 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 are herds of wild cattle roaming uh, uh, the area. Uh, uh, on I-29 near Salix, Iowa. So be careful driving through that area. There, there, or there are, are, are banditos of cows running around little inside
1: production secret i can't rimshot you when you're talking because of the auto duck so i (laughs) rimshot you like four times people in the audio will hear it because they're hearing this recording but on the video one we actually use this system and there's some sort of like automatic auto duck on there so if two mics are talking at the same time um i tend to be the one that ends up getting ducked under so it missed my rim shots but they were there how did i count
0: four miles though i didn't know cows were that fast I I don't know. I uh, how long did it take them to look for him? I, 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 four miles away. You're, you're right. I mean, well, it looks like it rolled over at night, so maybe they, under the cover of darkness, they were they could covertly uh, manage to uh, navigate four miles away. <laughs> they're on know. the m- maybe they're heading over to the chick. I think the four miles away is uh, there was a Chick Fil A there. I think there's a Chick Fil A four miles from that exit right there at Salix.
1: Well, they were they were really on the move boom there we go <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh they also didn't they say that you didn't you say there's a farmer chasing them too maybe was a guy on a horseback trying to just lasso and bring all these cows back
0: oh yeah I, I, yeah it's it's cur- i mean well there's a there's a couple guys out there looking for curly's gold or something like that and they ran across these cows so they're driving them across <laughs> iowa back to the owner there right now I, I think billy crystal's leading the charge there
1: oh Rhonda has uh her inner nick austin is coming out she said it's rather cool here right now so he'll be uh He'll be lost on purpose in the Arizona desert, so I don't think he, um, he, you know, he's in trouble of uh, being like 120 degrees or something. So, good news for that guy. Mm. We're looking for okay, you, buddy. Good. Thank come, you, Rhonda. We're, we can get through this. Get come out of the desert or come out of hiding. We'll clean up the grain truck. We'll get this all resolved. You don't, you know, this isn't the kind of thing you gotta run away
0: from from Earth over. Yeah. I no. Mean. <laughs> Yeah no I mean it, it, I mean what what is it I it literally looks like dirt or something like that was it grain I, I don't know but I mean come on man <laughs> I don't not see either. vehicles piled up that's why i assumed he's uh hiding from something else not just the the roller yeah.
1: Yeah, it could be. He'd be like, "I, you, you can't check the, the paperwork, a license, or something's going on." So
0: uh, let's get Rachel on this. Here you go. Somebody call up Rachel. That's- get her on this. Investigative reporters. We want to know.
1: Find the missing grain guy. Find out why he went away. There's a mystery here, and I think they need to solve it. Or Haul Crime Log. You get into that one too. That's a new show on Freightcast. Look it up, or look up Long Haul Crime Log on your favorite podcast player of choice. But you get subscribe to Freightcast. You get every single Freightways podcast, including this one. We're almost. Uh, I think we're like two publishing two published shows away from a thousand on Freightcast. Pretty amazing. A little over a year's time doing all that. Um, here we go. Good news. Last good news. Bad news. It's been uh, two weeks, right? Good news. It's been two weeks. You're a teenager and you've already managed to steal $1 million from Kroger, which you're using to buy, you know, some teenage things. You got some clothes, you got some guns, you got some sneakers and you bought two cars. Looks Life's good, right?
0: Oh, yeah, I'm pimping. It's awesome, dude.
1: (laughs) Well, here's the bad news the dragnet has closed in on you and you got busted. NBC reports a 19 year old in the Atlanta area. Um, on Thursday, he was accused of stealing that one million dollars from Kroger. Police said that Trey Brown spent two weeks creating over forty fake returns to obtain over nine hundred eighty thousand dollars. While he was employed at the uh, Steve Reynolds Boulevard Kroger between December and January, the returns ranged from get this seventy five dollars, which is understandable, to over eighty seven thousand dollars for a non-existent <laughs> for non-existent items that uh, were placed on several credit cards, detectives said. Why like why is their system set up that you can just like do a return at a grocery aisle for eighty seven thousand dollars? I don't get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's. I think it's there to. Uh, I think it's there to profile uh, and, and trap people like like uh, somebody who might think that a, a a single local Kroger's won't miss an eighty seven thousand dollar item that doesn't
3: exist.
0: What do you say? You like got like 50 pounds of saffron or something?
1: I don't know. Exactly. Like, that. Like he's not, like, canceling shipments. I mean, this guy worked at a register, so uh, they need some control. This guy went to the well one too many times, too. You know, Trey, you, you can't just go in for a million dollars in two weeks, period. I know you might have wanted that second car, but, you know, you might want to leave some for the... Uh, you know, to, to give yourself a little cover.
0: I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, you come, you come tearing into the parking lot in your brand new Ferrari as a cashier <laughs> at the local. Uh, yeah, it's not, not a good look. Right? And they haven't even up minimum wage to $15 an hour yet, and you're
1: pulling in in a Rolls Royce.
0: Unbelievable.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, all right, Monday coming up on the show, we got Greg Johnson, he's the COO of Zembles. We got Shannon Courier, Director of Philanthropy and Development at St. Christopher's Truckers Relief Fund. We'll find out what their goal is for 2021 and how you can help. We, uh, we got on board with them, what, last, uh, I was like May, it was at home. We first started talking about those stories and, uh, we've been involved with them ever since. So happy to get her on board and, um, uh, and get their message out there for 2021. Ryan Droji CEO of Real Payments. They're an Atlanta based startup, Michael. They've raised $43 million in funding. They're helping, uh, Uh, Settle payments between trucking companies and their shippers. We got Jose Sicuro, transportation supervisor, Central States Manufacturing. He's going to play it forward on radio. Workouts. Katie Love, Lean Stavings, Ryan Man, Trucker Pat, Steven Lopez. Follow me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Follow him at Michael Vincent the Dude. Take care and see you next week.
0: Peace and love.